You're listening to episode 57 of Fearless Rebel Radio. In this episode, I'm interviewing Teresa Larson, author of the book Warrior, on her struggle with bulimia while she was serving in the military and how she found the courage to ask for help and abandon the idea of perfect. This is a really powerful story and a powerful episode, so I know you're going to enjoy it. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to go to Summer and dot com or thebodyimagecoach.com to get you my free 10-day body confidence makeover. You will see the sign up button for that all over my website. And that's about it. Short intro today. Oh hey. Let's get started with the show. Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 57 of Fearless Rebel Radio. Today on the show, I have a warrior, Dr. Teresa Larson. (laughs) Teresa was born and raised in a log cabin on the outskirts of Seattle, fostering a love of the outdoors and an active lifestyle. After losing her mother to cancer at the age of 10, Teresa developed a resilient, perseverance and determination that led to a collegiate scholarship and a semi-professional softball career, top awards as a fitness competition contestant, and an appointment to lieutenant in the Marines, where she led an entire platoon while deployed in Iraq. Her service was cut short when she was voluntarily evacuated due to an ongoing struggle with bulimia. Teresa's journey to wellness required the bravery to ask for help, to take care of herself first, and abandon the idea of perfect. She is now a doctor of physical therapy and founder of Movement RX, a physical therapy and wellness company company that offers support to wounded warriors and individuals with health and movement issues. She's the author of the book Warrior, and I am so excited to have her here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Summer. Yeah. I'm excited to be part of the Fearless Rebel podcast series. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And um, as we were just speaking about offline, I read the first couple chapters of your book, and I was just saying how how um, profound they were and how, you know, it gave me goosebumps reading about it. So, I mean, with that said, I'd love you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your story and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, warrior story is, <clears throat> I think that my story will resonate with many. Um, but I started off as, um, I lost my mom at 10, which was a big time, you know, period of time that changed my life, um, and changed the way I viewed myself and how I interacted with my you know fellow classmates and whatnot. I became pretty shy, so I went from like a kind of an outgoing woman to pretty shy little girl. Um, and I, so after going through school and just kind of being a more of a misfit per se, um, I you know entered high school and but I was very good at athletics, so basketball, softball, um, those are the two main ones I played, and I also ran track. Um, and I did really well at them and I noticed I got a lot of, you know, exposure, like a lot of, um, popularity from being good at sports and people started to want to be around me whenever, you know, I did well and and won games, um, you know, and I, I developed, I guess, friendships. Um, so I thought because I did well in sports, 
but those friendships were pretty superficial. Um, they're based on performance. So when I lost, it was like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't, it, it was, it was almost like my, my, um, reputation was on the line in terms of if I won or lost. And so I started to really like learn from just this feedback that like, okay, if I won, I get more attention from the newspapers, from my teachers, from my people around me. And, and that re- kind of started to build like a false sense of self, mm-hmm. I guess. So, um, but, but what I considered my self-esteem, right? So like, I felt I needed, I needed to win. I needed this um, external reinforcement to be happy with who I was. And I also, you know, received the same feedback at home. Being raised by a single father, I mean, he did the best he could, but he was also driven. And doing well in school meant more, you know, he was more proud of me and he would say that. And if I won games, he was more proud of me and he would say that. And if I didn't, then those things weren't said. You know, and so that reinforcement um, was built, you know, at a very vulnerable age. Uh, And so I just noticed like, all right, I got to keep winning. That's simple as that. And I got to be the best to be noticed. And so um, I started to develop the all or nothing thinking. You probably soon after my mother passed away, people noticed me. I win, you know, and that's how I'm going to gain. That's how I'm going to get by in life and be somebody. And so I think a lot of women and just women and men can relate to that just achievement driven achievement, that all or nothing thinking perfectionist mentality, like you either you win or you don't. And, um, so that, you know, led me to, I got a college scholarship, which was really awesome. You know, there was lots of good things that came out of it too. I mean, in college, when I got into college, I met some wonderful women who I became good friends with who became my friends, you know, for the first time I made girlfriends who just wanted to be around me because I was fun. And it was really interesting to me because I was like, wait, you don't care if I win or lose. Like you don't even care if I'm on the softball team or not. They didn't, they just liked being around me because I was goofy. So it was kind of cool that, um, I started to make these friends in college, like these real friends. And, um, so fast forward through college, like this, I still have the same drive though. Like I had to be the best. Like I had to be the number one pitcher on the team. And if I wasn't, you know, I struggled with that, like not being the best and not being the starting pitcher. And I mean, I pushed through and was driven to, you know, but my drive was to be the starting pitcher. My drive was to be the biggest pitcher of the year, et cetera. And it just led to a lot of up and down moods and a lot of just unhappy days and really happy days. You know, it was like when I won and people noticed me, that was great. And when I lost, I felt like the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really, it was a, a, a bad cycle. But again, like I also had fun too. It just, it was just not a, it wasn't a healthy, I didn't have a healthy internal world. Yeah. Let's just say that. So um, but to top that off, you know, I did ROTC, so I was a Marine option at um, in Naval ROTC. So I was one of the one of two Marine women in my ROTC unit. So naturally, in the Marine Corps, it's like if you're physically fit, you know, and smart, then good for you. So that there's that reinforcement again. 
wow, you can run a 300 PFT physical fitness test, which is perfect score, right? And, and um, you get good grades, so you're worthy. And I would be always compared to another female Marine option who didn't get as high of scores as me. So she would be compared to me and vice versa. And so they would base my, they'd be like, you're a good leader compared to her because you run faster and you do more pull-ups and you get better grades. And so it was really interesting, like how the military culture started to feed into that too, right? Not only just sports for me, but it was also the military culture. And then um, uh, I, to top that off, I decided to, um, when I, I decided to do this fitness competition with my family. So my family, my immediate family consisted of my father, who's a single father who never remarried, um, and my brothers, my two older brothers, who I looked up to so much. Um, they were my role models, and I pretty much tried to mimic everything they did. Uh, to include going to Boy Scouts, but they wouldn't allow me to be a Boy Scout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but my, we all did this fitness competition, right? And I really like did the best I could with it. I was determined to get the leanest and most fit out of everybody. And I ended up winning. By winning, I came in second place out of like thousands of women in my age group, which was like unbelievable mm-hmm. at the time. And that again reinforced the oh my gosh, I can control the way I look by what I eat. And if I train this much and work this hard, I'm going to look like this, and people will notice me. Right. And so people started to see me as like the fitness queen on campus. Look at her. Like, what do you eat? How do you do it? And then I started to get everyone on this like fitness competition routine. And it was just absolutely, you know, it was kind of crazy. Um, When I look back at the amount of training and, like, attention I put into training and food and performance. And so, as you can imagine, my internal world was, was, it was very tumultuous, just happy days, sad days. Um, Didn't have a lot of confidence in myself when I lost. Um, My dad was there to pick me up. You know, he'd become much more supportive as I um, got further in high school and college. So he began to understand that I needed just, I needed, I needed him to be there regardless of wins or losses. Mm. <laughs> I needed him to just be my dad. And um, he learned to be there for me. And uh, I, I, I really struggled though. Like he picked me up many times in college, just like self-esteem wise and helped give me pep talks and, so did my good girlfriends that I made. Um, and so that pressure, though, kept building, right? As you can probably, all of you guys are listening, it's like there's this pressure building. And it's like sometime this girl is going to pop because she she's putting so much pressure on herself. Yeah. Now it's with her body. And it's on the field. And it's Division One, you know, one of the top Division One leagues in softball in the country. And then, oh, by the way, she's going to the Marine Corps. Like, what? And then I, going into the Marine Corps was the next step. Um, I was commissioned a lieutenant, and the pressure just kept mounting. Um, and I developed a full-blown eating disorder. Um, that was my way to kind of control these feelings of up and down. I didn't. There came a point where I just didn't know what to do, so becoming a bulimic was the answer. It was like, well, I... I I was controlling my food so much and my training and I was working myself into the ground because I was a new lieutenant and new lieutenants work all day. 
you're running, I was running a platoon, you know, there's 50 plus Marines in my unit who I looked up to me. So like, I, I couldn't not be perfect and I couldn't show weakness. I couldn't show I was being, I was feeling vulnerable. And so I hid all of that through food and the abuse of food. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up becoming like getting more, it took more and more control over me as the months went on. And then because the more I, I, I didn't feel open to sharing about it because I was fearful of losing my job. I mean, basically that's the consensus is that if, if I spoke up about having an eating issue, the Marine Corps of all places, you know, male dominated community wouldn't know what to do with me. Yeah. It's like there's no, I mean, if, if I was an alcoholic coming forward, it would be much different. But food, it's like I didn't even try to say anything because I was too fearful. As a new lieutenant, I was like, no, I am going to suck this up because it's just an eating issue. I wouldn't admit to actually having an eating disorder yet and because I, I just I didn't want to believe it, you know, mm. like I didn't want to believe it. And But I ended up, you know, when I deployed because I was determined to deploy and not let a food issue get in the way um, – so I thought it just got worse. And so my story and warrior story uncovers that the, what an eating disorder looks like and like just in the mind of me, like what I, what I would do, like the, the bathroom being my safe place, the one safe place, you know, and the, the food and why I was ad- addicted to it. Um, and it wasn't because it, it was, it's, it's, it's a drug that you don't necessarily get in trouble for. I'll mm-hmm. just say that. Like you, you can go to work having eaten too much, but if you drink too much, clearly people are going to know, you know, and if you do too many drugs, clearly someone's going to know because maybe you just aren't as, you know, on your A game. Um, so, I mean, sugar has a, has a effect on the body too, but it's, it's, not exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a so, there's a major difference between yeah. like so you, it's like a self-harming behavior and just a right. physiological reaction. Yeah, so it's um the the eating disorder so I'm I'm in Iraq and I'm struggling and I'm doing these very intense jobs. Like I don't have like a regular desk job. And I was in combat, you know, the front lines before women were even allowed to be. Right. 2013, Congress just passed that we could women were allowed to be on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'd been on the front lines like there is no front. I mean, to be honest, there is no front lines in Iraq. You're either in or you're out. You either sit at a desk or you're out on the field. And I was out in the field, which meant I was living, you know, and I, and I didn't mind. Like, that's what I trained for. Carry big weapons, train lots of guys and some women be in harm's way. Like, I wasn't afraid of that. Um, I was more fearful of my addiction, to be honest. And um, so when I was in Iraq, I just, there was a, um, a specific moment when I was on a convoy and I just could not concentrate as effectively. I knew I was only functioning at 60 or 70%, probably for some time, but I finally admitted to myself, like, okay, Teresa, it's time. Like, you're up all night, you're up all day. You're not, you're malnourished. You're not eating enough. You've got this issue with food. You're all over the place emotionally. Your dad is stressed out for you. Now, mind you, my dad and I are pretty close at this point. 
you know, he, I remind him a lot of my mom. You know, my mom was everything to him. My dad at this time had become a full-blown Catholic priest. So he, because he's a widower, he could go to the priesthood and become a priest. And he was a very popular priest because he'd been married and, you know, like had a life and good at serving people in the religious community. And so this was really, really hard for him to see me suffer because um, I think it took it back to like when my mom suffered. Yeah. And so really when I made the decision, I made the decision to ask for help and leave because I knew that just sitting by a desk in the middle of Iraq wasn't going to get me better. Like I needed therapy mm-hmm. and I needed to slow down and I needed to figure out what the heck was going on in my head. And I, and that decision, like summer and everyone, that decision was the hardest decision because I was on this treadmill of just going. And if I hadn't said anything, no one would have known. But someone could have gotten hurt. You never know. Like, you always can look back and shoulda, coulda, woulda. But I don't regret my decision anymore. And that's taken me time. Because you do never know. And the thing is, for the first time, I finally put myself first and said, Teresa, you need to get help. And my life has only grown from that decision. But it definitely wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was looked as a disappointment by my colleagues. I was, you know, I was judged. I had rumors spread about me. Uh, it was just ridiculous. But, but I, I learned to love myself and I learned to look past those rumors and look past the way the Marine Corps, you know, responded and just know that I made the right decision, even though everyone else didn't really think I did. Mm-hmm. So I knew in my heart that there was a lack of understanding for this disease. And I had a disease at this point. I knew I had a disease and it was going to be, it's going to be a while for society to understand it. And that's why I wrote warriors because I wanted to give people that inside scoop on what it's like. It is a legitimate coping. It, not, I'm not saying legitimate is good. It is a coping mechanism. It is a disease that people develop. Many people develop. And I'm not the only one in the Marine Corps, let alone in the world, who struggled with it. Mm-hmm. But people, there's just such a misunderstanding. Like, the most common response is like, what, you can't eat brownies anymore? Or you have a hard time going out to eat? It's like, no. That's not, that's, that's not what an eating disorder, it's not what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I, I struggle with going out to eat to like, I had a, I had a hard time with buffets, but the point is, is that it's, it's similar to other addictions. It's like, there's underlying things there. There's ability to cope with life, ability to cope with um, what's going on in your life. You're that all or nothing thinking that I had, it was just debilitating. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was like a form of self-cruelty. Like, I'm going to abuse myself because I didn't make it. I didn't do this right. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, like your experience is, is particularly um, uh, different in a way because it happened to you in, in the confines of your being a Marine, And like you said, like, you know, you're one of two women in your unit and um, you were told to suck it up. Like you actually were told to suck it up, weren't you? Like that's, 
that's like you 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 open your book just you know talking about this profound letter from your father encouraging you to get help and um you know when you went to see the the navy shrink as you refer to him um they told you to suck it up and and so like how did that how did that experience feel for you um oh just extremely lonely it's I mean it's you feel like I felt like I was in a black hole of, of just loneliness. And then you go and reach out to someone who's supposed to be someone who helps, right? And I know that I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He didn't know what he was in for. <laughs> like he was working, he only, you know, had been working with post-traumatic stress and those have been blown up and whatnot. Um, so, but this was a form, this was, you know, I did experience post-traumatic stress as well. It just came out in a different way. Post-traumatic stress developed, like manifests many different ways. Mine was extreme anxiety, some paranoia, um, nightmares. And um, so it was very lonely. And when that nurse told me, like, if you, you need to not say anything, like that's, you're going to lose your job if you do. Mm-hmm. And it just was, it was like a, it was like a, all the time, like a heart sinking feeling, like a, a, like a gut, it was like a big cement block was just in my stomach. And I just, I, I didn't know where to turn or what to do. And it just seemed like crying was the easiest thing. And succumbing to my addiction, because it was, there was immediate release there. But of course, it was backed up with a tense depression and loneliness. Yeah. So that um, it was very hard. I am not going to lie that that was the hardest experience of my life to include the medevac that happened, mm-hmm. which comes later in the book. Like it was just because here I am on a plane with people who are physically wounded. And here I am with a mental wound and people are like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And you just feel like, I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea. And that's, uh, I think that's like, you know, that's a stigma associated with mental health in our society. You know, like it's just, it's just never really perceived as being that, that traumatic compared to, you know, like an actual physical in wound or injury. But, but it, I mean, it is, it's just, it, and I think that, you know, you sharing your story helps to smash some of that stigma, but I imagine in the military that, that there's an even bigger stigma associated with mental health problems. Yes. No, I think it's a, the military is a small entity of society. Mm -hmm. So everything's a little more heightened. Um, and plus the, you you think about it, like the military is about, well, just speak for the Marine Corps. They are about one thing, war, right? Preparing people for war and infantry. They're all about supporting their infantry. So this you know, anything that gets in the way of this and especially something they don't understand, it's like, well, we don't know what to do with you and we can't really touch it. So we're going to get you out. The best thing is to get rid of you versus deal with it. Um, now I'm not going to sit here and say the, the, you know, I'm not, the military treated me a certain way. They didn't know what to do with an eating disorder. The thing is I'm not alone. Like the military in general, um, and I think across all services, if someone comes forward and is struggling with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, 
there's just this, you know, we're kind of hands off mentality. Let's only work with you and when you're broken. So I know one in four Americans at least struggle with a mental illness. So I know that going in the military, that might that also might be heightened. There might be one in two. I don't really actually know the statistic. I should look that up. But I do know that if you're going to deploy to a combat zone and you're going to be working the hours you do and around the people you are, there are going to be mental struggles you're going to have no matter who you are. So like that mental and emotional conditioning and help should be there before we're broken. Like before you deploy, there should be help. Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's work with you on how you deal with stress. Let's help you develop better coping mechanisms. Like had that even been available, it would have been so nice because maybe I had to learn some ways to cope. I didn't know what even that meant. It was all about preparing for war and that getting the troops ready. So I cared about them, but like who was caring about me? Right. It was just my dad, of course, was showing he cared, but like the preparation from the service, like there's no higher ups. They were just demanding me get my troops ready versus how are you, Lieutenant? How are you doing? And this is not uncommon. You know, as a leader, it's like, well, shoot, you should be able to take care of yourself by now. But as a 22 year old just out of college, like, okay, I still had some I have some things to learn. But, you know, I, I, I want this book to change the conversation. Like, I would not, I don't regret anything. Like, I'm, I'm, I have grown so much from my journey, but I am in a position where I know I can change the conversation. Like, let's fix people before they become broken. Because in the military, they're going to be exposed to things that are challenging and, and to, to people, situations that are uncomfortable. And that creates different responses in people. So... Why not get ahead of the curve just like I do with people in movement? Let's fix you before you're broken. Oh, you're missing overhead position? Let's fix that before your shoulder, you have a labral tear or rotator cuff tear. Let's like do some coping. Let's find some coping mechanisms for these military members before depression and addictions and issues with rape come about because of the lack of transition, ability to transition and acclimate to daily life comes about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about your recovery, you know, because I think that um, you obviously come such a long way and, and, you know, your story so is, is different than um, some of the other guests I've had on the podcast because, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, your, your issues with perfectionism were really around, um, were not really about your body in the beginning. I mean, you did the fitness competition later on, but um, that being said, it was still around this like desire for control and that like, if you could control yourself winning at sports, then you could control like the, the reinforcement that you received. And if you could, you know, be better at something, then that would, you could control your mood, you know? And so the the theme is still the same, you know, the theme of external reinforcement and trying to control, um, uh, you know, your, your circumstances by, um, uh, controlling like what other people give you. Um, talk to me a little bit about control and like the role that control played in your life. Well, control was um, a big driver. It was it was 
nice. The thing is, like, it was nice to have control, like the control of eating and exercising and what it could do for my body. So I did do the fitness competition later on in college because finally I had that freedom to eat what I chose to eat versus eating what my dad cooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like it became an addiction of itself. Just the the need to control what I ate, what I'm in my body, what my body looked like, um, you know, how I performed wasn't always that's that wasn't always in my control. And when I didn't, when I when I lost, it was feel that feeling of loss of control, like was very hard on me. Like it's it created a depressive response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I ate, like on that free day that we were allowed with our fitness competition, when I ate all that I wanted, even though it made me totally sick, like that loss of control feeling of eating because I had restricted so much that all of a sudden I just wanted to eat everything it was scary and and also created a depressive response. So essentially, most of life, I mean, <laughs> you can only control your respond to things, right? But it's like you can't, trying to control everything is not not healthy, and I knew that intuitively. It's just that I, my, I was addicted to having some semblance of control because, like, the game, winning games, was out of my control. I mean, completely. Like, I could play the best game of my life, but we could still lose. Right. Right. I, I could study all I wanted, but maybe they threw me a curveball on my test, and I wouldn't have done. I would have gotten an A. I would have gotten a B, which I would still beat myself up over. Um, if, like, in the military, if I ran. You know, even if I ran a perfect score, like let's say I ran a perfect score of 300, which means you do a 70-second arm hang, you do 100 sit-ups in two minutes, and um, you run three miles in less than 21 minutes. Like let's say someone made a comment to me um, about the way I looked, the way I ran, the way I performed, or I didn't feel good. Like I always feel that I would still feel like a loss of control. Right, because it didn't get the approval that I wanted. Right. So, uh, unfortunately, it was the the driver for that was what I sought was, okay, if I do X Y Z, I will look like this, and I thought that, and if I tried to control the situation in, in sports and in the military, um, which was harder to do because depending on the day, how much sleep you get, your team. Um, that created problems for me because that's where loss, it was like, I felt loss of control. If I didn't run as fast or I felt gross in the morning or didn't sleep as much, I felt a loss of control. And, and, but that loss of control drove me harder to have more control. (laughs) Uh, it's just, it was a cyclical, it was a downward spiral, Mm -hmm. um, summer. So, yeah. And I think, I think like that's, that's at the that's at the root of of most people with eating disorders or disordered eating or you know body image issues is is just this like craving the control you know and but yes. not not actually like we don't actually have control like we don't you know we can't control right. what what other people are going to do or how they're going to react yeah. to us and 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 whatnot um yeah, and you know what? Sorry to interrupt you, yeah. Summer, but I was just gonna say one of the one of the thing, healing mechanisms for me, one of the the healing, one of the pieces of healing for me has been able to let go. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. So how do you well, practice that? I, I um, well, it's not easy, and I wouldn't say right now I'm, I'm, I'm still struggle with it, but I have better coping mechanisms with it. So like, it started. I started to learn more about its aggressive hold on me when I was in my outpatient therapy, um, which I got. Thankfully, while I was in the Marines, I had to fight for it, but I finally got care. Um, so I started to learn coping mechanisms, especially with the food side of things, which started there. It was like, don't freak out. You know, eating the way you have been isn't actually really healthy, Teresa. Like, you want to be able to enjoy foods, and here's how, being mindful. Um, but to be honest you and I went through therapy. It didn't really sink in until years later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it was years of uh, just letting, like slowly letting go of the control. Like first it was the symptoms um, of, of purging. Okay. So like purging my food, I stopped that. And I started to embrace the out of control feeling of when I ate too much. Mm-hmm. Just like embracing it, being uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to play softball again in Italy, of all places, the land of food. And I wasn't winning at all. I wasn't doing well. So I had to embrace loss. Again, a feeling of out of control and total vulnerability for me. I started to go back to school too when I got back from Italy. And to for, for sports medicine, and I was struggling with like chemistry and physics, you know, go figure. Like, I didn't really study those in college, and now I'm going back to school to, to become a doctor of physical therapy. So, like, I had to go back to school and study and focus, and I wasn't getting as good of grades as I wanted. And that was a feeling of out of control again. But, like, I just with those, it was a very uncomfortable time. So it wasn't like, oh, I, I can just accept this. This is fine. It was like just a kind of a daily battle of being aware that that I was going to react a certain way, that my mind was going to want to go to this darker place and that I need to counter that darker thought with a positive action, whether I say to myself something out loud or I write it down or I do something positive. So it was like kind of, you know, you've got the dark side and then you choose the light because your mind, especially with those old tapes that plays itself, is going to want to go to the dark place because it always has. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of that, that mental conditioning, neuroplasticity, right? You can change the way your brain thinks over time. If you feed it, you gotta, but you gotta feed it good things like take it in the good. So over time I was able to build up a better thought process, um, so I know that my mind, my mind less and less goes to the cruel side, the dark side, I should say. I'm totally a Star Wars theme here. Um, <laughs> and it goes to more taking the good. Um, but it has been harder even with my book now because so many people have read it so far, right? And they have all sorts of opinions. And I can't control their opinions. Yeah. And I have people who are like, wow, this and this about family and this and this about your eating disorder. And like they're being, you know, people are being very open-minded, but it's also hard to take sometimes and I can't control it. And so I find myself trying to, 
but I have to remind myself, like, that's why I journal. Journaling helps me. Journaling as well as um, I've taken up in the last two years meditation. Just time for me. Meditation for me is just stillness and quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I've really had to keep it in check because there's so much feedback I'm getting right now. And it's really hard because a lot of it's good, but a lot of it's like, hard. Like, I can't believe you're writing a memoir. Like, that's really crazy. Like I would never write a memoir. You write about people that are alive, like your brothers and your dad and you know, people you work for, they're still alive. I'm like, yeah, they're still alive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not always comfortable what I'm writing about and I'm exposing a deeper part of me and I just have to be, but, but the, but the, that lack of control of what they think, I remind myself that why I'm writing it in the first place and why I'm doing it. It's like to expose a truth and a reality. And I have a very strong mind and I don't need to get reinforcement from others because I know the way I wrote the book and how I wrote it was right. And it will help people. So like, I just have to lately constantly remind myself of that because of all the different feedback I get. Yeah. I mean, I, I can relate to that for sure. It's, it's, it's hard to completely, um, you know, get away from the external validation, whether it be positive or negative, you know, like, yeah, it's hard to be completely new. It's impossible to be completely neutral. Um, and, but I mean, it sounds to me like your, your loyalty lies with your authenticity and your, your mission to, you know, change your, change, change, um, share your story and change the lives of others by doing so. So, um, but I love how you don't make it sound easy. You know, like you talked about like how it was really uncomfortable and it's really uncomfortable for you to let go of the control because, um, that's, that's really important. You know, I think sometimes like people just think like you wake up and you're recovered or you wake up and you don't feel that way anymore. And it's like, so not true at all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's not, that's not true at all. Like it's, um, I mean, gosh, I am in such a better place than I was. Right. So it's easier for me to talk about it now, which is really nice, but it has taken a lot of hard work to get to this point. Um, and by heartache, I mean like lots of heartache and lots of up and downs and, and lots of loss and like having to let go of friends, loss of my father, loss of just loss and learning to just accept and embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more, you know, with, with my work and what I do, it's really difficult to be all or nothing with things. Like there are going to be things that there's no such thing as perfect. I'm not even going to use that word. It's just like, I'm not going to be excellent at everything. I'm going to do the very best I can, but that has to be good enough. Simple as that. And I just, my mind, when it goes, especially, you know, I think somewhere it's important to understand triggers. Like that's been a huge learning process for me is that there's triggers. We all have them. When am I going to be triggered? Well, typically when I don't get a lot of sleep, when I'm working a lot, when I get, I, I, am introverted surprisingly <laughs> when I do too much external, give too much external energy. Yeah. That's when I start to the cruel tapes and the false authorities, I call them the things that like try to tell me 
that I'm not good enough and yada, yada, get me further away from my soul um, is how I like to picture it. Those, those things become more like kind of in your face, won't leave me alone. And so I know like physical tactics to help me is sleep, get some sleep, eat some good food, be around people who love you, be around my husband, go hang out with a good girlfriend and talk, like utilize the people that love you who want to listen to you, write, watch a good show for the sake of just wanting to laugh or, you know, you know, let your mind relax from the turmoil. Um, But those are things that have really helped me. Mm-hmm. sometimes sitting in quiet and stillness won't work for me. I'm going to be honest. Like it's the hardest thing. So when I'm really like, I've gotten riled up the last couple of days and my mother, my father's birthday was on the 12th. And I realized like that he passed away a year ago and like tragically passed away. Like didn't, we know it was so unexpected. And like, I just had to be aware that, okay, Teresa, everything's going to seem a little bit, harder right now and I just in my responses to things like I felt like I freaked out a little bit easier in my brain like oh my god I can't believe this happened and why did I do this and why did I do that and then I had to think Teresa like this this is going to be a challenging few days for you even week so just chill yeah you know yeah I'm sorry I'm sorry to hear about your father too I well, thank you. Yeah. No, it's, but it's real, right? It's real life. Like we, mm-hmm. we have loss and just knowing that those time, like that time frame around his loss, the time frame around my mother's loss, Christmas time, like the time frame around, you know, those, those are kind of vulnerable times. And I just, mm-hmm. I know that I'm vulnerable when I don't sleep enough or when I start to eat too much sugar, right? It's just, it, it's, it affects my body. And I'm saying I can, I can modify and, I enjoy food very much. I have a healthy relationship, but like it doesn't feel good when I emotionally eat because I know. And so I just have to be gentle with myself. Like I'm okay. Teresa, I just ate this, but it's okay. Like get some sleep, be a little more mindful tomorrow in the way you eat and understand why, you know, if you wanted to eat all those cupcakes, great. But if you didn't, then why? And, but don't, but be gentle on yourself. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And that's very real too. Yeah. I think it's so important to understand, you know, the, the triggers because you know, that the, you know, the negative voices, they are really triggered by things. And so the, you know, like being self-aware of those patterns and what contributes to it. And like you named a few that I can totally relate to, like the lack of sleep, taking on too much. Um, I'm an introvert as well. And so uh, when (laughs) I'm not honoring that aspect of my personality, which I didn't realize I was an introvert until two years ago. And then like so much of my life made sense. Um, (laughs) uh, If I, yeah, if I don't honor that piece of me, like I, I, I experience the same thing. Like that's when that's when like my perfectionism starts to surface. That's when like the feelings of self-doubt really fire up. And so, um, I think it, yeah, I think that's so, so critical. Um, one thing I want to ask you is what does, what does loving your body mean to you now? So loving my body now means starting with my mind. (laughs) Um, so when I wake up, I give it 
I do at least five minutes of still and quiet time. Mm-hmm. So it just, I start with the mind because I've done so much physical work in my day, like from the ring corps to sports that I'm like, okay, I'm putting my mind first and I'm going to just be still and quiet because it wants to be like a monkey and jump around. So I'm going to <laughs> be still and quiet every day for five minutes. Um, but I go and I actually train in a CrossFit gym called San Diego Athletics. So I work in the CrossFit community um, as a physical therapist. But what I really enjoy the most is that I am like, when I go to the gym, the focus is on building strength on my body. So like, I'm excited about what my legs can do that day, what my mm. arms can do that day, like improving press strength. That's really cool to me. Being able to do pull-ups is really fun for me. I mean, I would say it's hard work, but it's really cool to see what my body can do. And so I'll go to the gym regardless of how, you know, there's still the negative tapes on what I look like at times that creep in, but I will go with the focus of appreciating what my body can do. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun. Like, um, it makes it more fun because, you know, I'm really the only one that's judging, has been judging myself harshly for so long and like letting go of that tape regardless of how I feel in the morning, what I look like. I just go. I do squats with my friends. You know, I do presses with my friends, push-ups, pull-ups. We run sometimes. Um, it's really nice. And I, like, am inspired by how strong my body is. And I try to inspire the women the same way in my practice. It's like it's – because there's sometimes a fear around CrossFit and weights and stuff. Just, like, I, I want to help women understand that it's – it's actually, you know, you don't have to lift heavy weights, but like looking at what your body can do versus like what it looks like is a huge shift. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really cool. And so, but, but the thing is, you know, with that, so with training, um, that quiet time for my mind in the training, um, I go into the day, um, and that's been my self care time. So in the day when I'm giving to patients energy, I can like, focus more. Like I'm more focused with patients and then sleep. So giving myself that seven and a half to eight hours of sleep is ideal. I get it probably 75% of the time, sometimes a little bit less, but that's the way I take care of my body too, because it recovers during that time. And I actually feel like, you know, sleeping is one of the best drugs you can give yourself. It is the way your body recovers. And I feel like mentally I'm not driving on empty. So I can wake up, feel astute, go to my workout. You know, not every day is exactly the same. But those common self-care techniques of the mind first, go and do a little workout, focusing on what my body can do, giving to others, because I just love helping others, sleeping, those things, um, or how I respect and love my body. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you described it in the form of self-care. Yeah, and I find it not selfish. Like, it is, that is one thing that's, like, kind of been interesting is that, you know, self-care, like, okay, that doesn't, to me, self-care isn't going and getting your nails done or whatnot, you know, or putting cucumbers on your eyes. It's like, no, I'm getting enough sleep. I'm journaling. I'm feeding my mind good things, good thoughts, and it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. If I put myself – and I don't have children yet and I want children, but I plan on taking that same approach. When I thrive as a mother and as a woman, 
my children will thrive. Mm -hmm. So, and I want them to see me thrive, not be, you know, bent out of shape and like, stressed out all the time. <laughs> I'm sure my kids will stress me out. I pretty much will guarantee it. But <laughs> like, I still am going to be admin on, hey, my husband and I will have to figure out something where we do self-care. Like, this is my time. Please, you know. I need to do this so I can better care for my kids. I need to do this so I can better. And even now, like just my husband and I, when I do care for myself, which is a daily thing. Okay. Some days I miss it though. Right. And I'm affected, mm -hmm. but, but my time with my husband thrives then. Yeah. Like I can better give to him, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. So it only, I think this is something that, you know, the hard truth of it all is like by me, finally realizing this and asking for help, you know, asking for help led me out of that shame cave slowly and with a lot of heartache, but it led me to where I am today, which means the people around me. So the men in my life, my brothers, my family members, my husband, I'll benefit from that. And like, so I don't want to live my life in a bubble. Like everything's around me and about me. It's like the way I treat myself I'm better able to help others mm -hmm. and be present to my loved ones, which I wasn't before. It was like when you're in this dark hole of being a, you know, feeling like a victim, honestly, and then like, you know, self-doubt, um, self-criticism, which can creep into anybody's life. Um, it's not fun for people around you either. So. Yeah, I can totally relate to that as well. I mean, it just makes you distracted. Yes. You know? And that is the name of distraction for sure. It's like a fight over that distraction. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Oh. So as we wrap things up here, I can't believe we've been chatting for I know <laughs> like 50 minutes. Um, the last question I ask all my guests is what is the most fearless thing that you've done? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, does it have to be about like a experience? No. Whatever comes to mind for you. What is the most fearless thing? Okay. Well, I would say the most fearless thing for me was deciding to go play softball in Italy again after four years of not playing. Um, I was just like, I'm going to do it. Why not? Like, I want to I wanna change the scenery. And it was scary because I was playing in a professional league, you know, against all of these, like, really good players from Australia and the U.S., and I was a good player in college, but like still I hadn't played in four years. So it was really cool for me to just, you know, my dad had thought I was going to go back to school right away, you know, get myself on my track, like, you know, get my education, the license I needed. But I was like, nope, going to Italy, going to travel, going to enjoy some pizza. And ultimately in Italy, I stopped my symptoms of bulimia, but of course I had a lot of work to do post that, but it was just like kind of a cool decision like no I'm doing it this mm -hmm. is I'm not scared of it awesome um, yeah so, so it, went, it went against the grain of you know my family is my you know we my dad was a firm believer in education get that education you know that's going to take you places and he's right in a lot of ways but I needed the freedom mm -hmm. you know I needed the freedom when I got out of the Marine Corps I didn't want to start back up in another institution like I wanted to just be free and so making that decision was, was that for me. What city did you reside um, in? So I played in Sardinia, Italy. Okay. 
which was an island. So yeah, we had eight other. There's eight other teams around Italy that we traveled to. So, awesome. um, like Florence, Venice, Rome, Naples. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was like so. It was so. It was a little surreal. That's awesome. I <laughs> and I swear, like. The night, you know, the nights before our games, it was like you'd stay up late eating pasta. Um, I mean, it was just like loads and loads of food. That's just what we did. Mm-hmm. And so it was very interesting, like, overcoming my eating disorder there. Of all places, right, the land of food, I was able to finally, like, let go of those kind of intoxicating symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So, well, they have, like, such a, like, I mean, food is food is love there. And I think yeah. that... Like that, um, that, that could almost be like a positive influence in terms of like, in in terms of, you know, cultivating a new relationship with food. I mean, sometimes that's not a positive experience. Like (laughs) if you, if you grow up and like, that's your only form of, uh, that's like the form of love that you receive. But, um, but I also think it can be this, like this, uh, really beautiful, uh, representation of, of eating and just like pleasure. And it's just like, it's it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy life. <laughs> and be merry. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find more of you? So you can find more about me on drteresalarson.com. Okay. And is that oh. where they can get your book? Where yes. Okay. So the book um, I sent you, so there's a link that has, um, so you can order the book on my website, and then um, there's a link to a raffle I'm running, but that raffle only goes to April 4th. Okay. So, yeah, people can order the book on drtracelarson.com or warriorthebook.com. Perfect. And I will link to both yeah. of those in the show okay. notes, which you'll be able to find at summerinandin.com forward slash FRR-5757. Thank you again so much. Thanks, Summer. So nice chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your inspiration, too. Thanks. Rock on. All right. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes to leave me a review. It will take two seconds, and I would be super grateful. Click on reviews and ratings, and then click to rate. Easy peasy. You can do it on your phone right now, just while you're driving even. Just kidding. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or thebodyimagecoach.com to grab your free Rule Breakers Guide to Rockin' Your Bod plus the 10-Day Body Confidence Makeover plus your exclusive invite to my free online community all for free. Free, free, free. Cool. All right. Until next time, rock on. (laughs) 